1: the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean Kennedy, and uh, before we get started with the show today, we have some fun things to talk about with how the Sixers have approached this first week of free agency. Uh, I wanted to let you all know, I posted on Twitter yesterday, and I'm assuming most, not all of you who are listening to the show follow me on Twitter, but... uh, I have accepted a position as a basketball video scout intern over at Sports Info Solutions. It's a very exciting role something I've always wanted to do I'm really looking forward to I uh, want to make sure I let you all know because it does restrict me from saying certain things on the show not as much because it is dealing with the NBA uh, NBA for now and just I, I should be fine on some things but just in case you're wondering why, why me and Sean maybe don't talk about a few things. Like that, that's the reason why. But I just wanted to let everyone know about that. And yeah, thanks for all the support up to this point. It's been great. And I definitely have been helped and prepared for this role by what I've done here at Liberty Baller. So I really appreciate that. Uh, Sean, how are you doing today?
0: I'm good, Daniel. Yeah, I, I think that just paves the way for me to cover all the front office criticism. And that's that's a mantle I am uh, happy to take on. Uh, while you... Grind tape and talk about what players can do on the court. I am more than willing and uh, I feel capable of directing any barbs towards bad decisions that NBA decision makers might make. Um, other than that, I'm good. Uh, in Beckner, in Phil Beckner, we trust. I feel like he uh, will definitely be the final piece to bring Dame to Philadelphia. And uh, other than that, I'm happy to have uh, Brian DePorak on to talk NBA free agency and what the Sixers have done.
1: Yeah, that's right. We have Brian Teporek on, who covers the Sixers for Forbes Sports and is a host of the NBA podcast. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. So the Sixers, like, do we just want to run through the moves they've made so far in free agency and kind of like we can figure out where to start? Um, basically, they've retained Danny Green and Furkan Korkmaz, and the Danny Green news is pretty recent, that 2 years, twenty. million contract that was signed very late last night or I don't know it might have even been in the past the past midnight so it might have been on Thursday morning I don't remember for sure but either way very late signing um, at least in terms of the time of the day Furkan Korkmaz coming back to the Sixers with a three year $15 million deal and then two new additions George Niang at two years $6.7 million and Andre Drummond on a one year minimum and then in terms of Players that have left the Sixers, we have George Hill signing with the Milwaukee Bucks after being waived, and Dwight Howard returning to the Lakers. Uh, Sean, how about Sean? How about you choose where we start today?
0: Yeah, I I just want to ask Brian about the the George Hill thing because I know there's some speculation that the the impetus behind that for Daryl might have been to try to avoid the hard cap, and I, I I. personally i thought that was a mistake I, I felt like maintaining hill on the on the roster hey i think he's still a useful player and i think the circumstances around his time in philadelphia last year were kind of weird he was coming off the thumb injury he didn't really have a chance to acclimate himself with the team down the stretch run and he he obviously didn't perform on the court uh, in the postseason how the team was hoping so i know if you know fans and obviously the team itself were were disappointed that it didn't quite work out, but I still thought he could be useful this upcoming season and, and off the court, his, his contract was the perfect kind of bridge to creating a deal for, for a bigger star or whatever, if you need that, that extra money to throw into a trade to make matching contracts work. But uh, yeah. Could could you just explain the, like the hard cap situation and and maybe your thoughts on it and why Daryl might have had, Waved george
2: yeah sure uh so i think it kind of came down to timing for hill more than anything else like i i wonder if his deadline to be waived was like august 9th instead of i think it was august 3rd
0: yes yeah
2: yeah, if he would still be on the team because i think when you know danny as you guys mentioned didn't resign or agree to resign until this morning so daryl probably had to operate under the assumption that like, this isn't guaranteed to happen. And as cap space started drying up around the league, it became increasingly more likely, but it, you know, the reports that came out early in free agency sounded pretty pessimistic in terms of his return. There are a lot of, you know, I think his podcast partners said there were nowhere close to a deal. Um, and there were multiple reporters mentioning a lot of other teams pursuing him. So I think Daryl was trying to maintain as much flexibility as possible. If Danny didn't return, there was a chance they would be they would have access to the full non taxpayer mid level exception to the biannual exception, and if they use either one of those, they would be hard capped, which means the apron they can't go over. It's about one hundred forty three million this year. Um, so they just they like they had to maintain that flexibility. Uh, if they were hoping to use the non-taxpayer, as it turns out, now that they've re-signed Danny, we'll see the details on all of these contracts. Like we know Drummond's at a minimum. Um, we don't know, you know, how they're going to structure Furcon, George and Danny. I would guess they'll just do a like normal, you know, five or 8% raises for all of those guys, especially because the cap's supposed to go up by like more than, I think almost close to 7 million next year, um. But right now, just based on, you know, I've been like plugging in what I'm estimating all of these new contracts to be. And right now they're at basically $141.6 million. So they have, you know, $1.4 million left before they hit the hard cap, which effectively means they are not going to use the non-taxpayer mid-level and they are not going to use the biannual exception. They don't have access to them because they just, using them would push them Over the apron. So moving forward, what we have to think about, you know, in terms of other moves that they're going to make, they have 14 players on the roster. They have roughly $2.6 million left of the taxpayer mid level exception. My guess is they won't use it this offseason. I would guess they'll either. Sign one more guy to a vet men. Maybe they use part of it on Charles Bassey. If they want to get him on a deal that's longer than two years, they did that with uh, Paul Reed and I believe Isaiah Joe last year. Um, otherwise they could save it for the trade deadline after the trade deadline, see who gets bought out. You know, maybe you have slightly more money to offer a guy instead of just a min contract, but I'm guessing this is the roster that we're going to rock with heading into the regular season, barring a Ben Simmons trade.
0: Yeah. I think that's probably the case considering Daryl tweeted out the, <laughs> the net rating for the, the, the last year's starters of Simmons, Seth, Danny green, uh, Tobias and Joel. Um, I know a lot of Sixers fans out there were not too ha- thrilled to see that, even though it's a great number, but people don't want to see Simmons in a Sixers lineup. I don't think Um <laughs> at least the majority of Sixers fans. But yeah, D- Daniel, um, Danny Green coming back. We all know that that's your boy. Um, what are your your thoughts on on Danny returning?
1: I mean, like Brian kind of outlined there, the kind of like the way the news had been flying kind of seemed like he wasn't coming back. So I was prepared for that. And I think it definitely makes sense. Now, Brian outlined it a lot better than I could, which he understands the cap way better than both of us. But uh, I was kind of, I, I'm just happy about it partially because I think that there's not a ton the Sixers could really do to replace that. If Danny Green is lost because as a team with limited cap room, given the high salaries that they have, it's just when you lose a player of Danny Green's nature, it's not like either a gigantic contract or kind of one of those middle, middle tier contracts. That's the one that's super hard to replace. Cause you're not really opening up more room for yourself and He's obviously a very important contributor to this team. Like, however, you want to say, I could probably argue, like, the at least the fourth or fifth best player on the team from this past year. That's just, it's very significant. So, I definitely think it's a good thing for the Sixers that this worked out. Um, as Brian said, the contract also, it's like there was like some news at first that maybe it wasn't all guaranteed or there's an option, but it does seem like it is guaranteed. It's, I mean, we'll surely get more info about that going forward. But no, I think. I mean that's a great thing about Danny Green is that he is meant to be the fourth or fifth player in your in a really good lineup because just the way he has very low usage offense does not require is not required to dribble the ball a lot to do what he does best. Uh, defensively we've talked about how on ball he struggled a lot with just especially quicker players. Um, you know like not gonna want to play his old team in San Antonio anymore probably after Doug McDermott has given him so many troubles every time they play, but um. Yeah, I think it's just it's a good news for Sixers fans. I understand why some of them might be a little discouraged by quote the Sixers at the moment looking like they're just running it back, which I mean obviously there have been a few changes, but the mo the most important then the most important key players from last season are basically seem like they're projected to be the most important key play players in the 2022 season. But it, it is also something of like this is what happens when you've made all the moves that the Sixers have to this point, this is pretty much what they, the, the roster they have from them. There's not a ton to do.
0: Yeah. So obviously Danny, an important player, um, just hopefully we never see him on Trey young again, but he, <laughs> he, he, he is helpful for all the, for all those wing defenders and slower guards that he can contribute there. Um, Brian, I want to ask you, you, you wrote about all the, free agent options that were available potentially to the Sixers at the beginning of the week for Forbes. A- after seeing a lot of these deals shake out now, did anyone that you had on your list go for like a reasonable offer elsewhere that you really felt the Sixers would have benefited from, from jumping on something like that or they, they like other, other routes they could have taken this past week?
2: Yeah. I mean,
1: I didn't have Andre Drummond on my list. full disclosure. <laughs> um, I get Andre- it. That sounded like when people last year didn't have Dwight Howard on their list. Right. Right. Yeah. I just
2: didn't even think of, like, I, I figured someone would take more than a min flyer on him, but it, knowing the price that they got on him, I, like, I I understand the jokes of like seeing the video that they tweeted yesterday from the Sixers account where Joel looks like dead inside as he's hugging, he's like tapping yeah. up Andre Drummond and giving a death stare.
0: So like Yeah, I, I liked how a lot of people were like, when you're at a family barbecue and your mom says, go say hi to your your second cousin over there <laughs> that you, you really don't know, but you're supposed to like spend the next two hours with hanging out with. Yeah, that was- so the chemistry will be interesting there. But in terms of
2: just like pure value, I think that's the best option on the market by far, right? Because like you got to just pencil in Joel is probably going to miss 15 to 20 games during the regular season. You know, would you have trusted Drummond or like, kem birch to be the fill-in starting center. I love kem birch but you know, kem Drummond is, is at player. least, yeah. But like Drummond is a proven starting caliber center, not on a championship-level team. But he's not going to need to be, hopefully, on this team. He can he can fill the Dwight Howard role, hopefully, without as many offensive fouls and goaltending. That's really like just play 15 minutes, be a lob threat, be a good rebounder, shot blocker, and like. Catch an occasional putback or lob, and that's all we need from you. So I actually like the value there. Uh, George Yang was a guy on my list. I I was hopeful that they could get him because I just figured Utah, especially after re-signing Mike Conley, was so deep into the tax. We saw them salary dump uh, Derek Favors as well. So I figured they, you know, he might be a cap casualty for them. Uh, he's a great shooter. I think he shot over forty percent from three last year. I just look at this as basically they're upgrading the Dwight and Mike Scott roles from last year. Like Drummond's going to fill in for Dwight. You know, George is going to fill in for Mike Scott and actually be able to hit shots, which will be a major upgrade. Um, Both of these guys, you know, they're not going to turn an entire playoff series, anything like that. But as Daryl tweeted, like the starting five was very good last year. So, you know, adding some more reliable bench depth, Especially given where they were going into the off season, where you know they don't have a ton of money to spend, I think it was you know they did as well as anyone could have reasonably asked. Like, would it have been great if Kemba Walker and you know decided to come to Philly on a min deal instead of going to the Knicks? Sure, but you know even if I think he's getting about eight million dollars a year is what Jake Fisher reported yesterday. The Sixers couldn't match that. Like, even if they didn't resign Danny and use the rest of their non-taxpayer mid-level, that would have only been $6.2 million. and Kemba, you know, wants to go home and play in New York. So that, I don't think that was a real option. Um, you know, like, Malik Monk on a min deal would have been nice, but I don't think he's taking a min deal here. He's going to the Lakers because they're the Lakers. So, you know, you have to pay up a little extra if you're not LA, Miami, Brooklyn, one of these, like, Luxury destinations that all you know all stars want to flock to. And I do wonder how much the Ben Simmons stuff is hovering over just all of these offseason decisions. Like, are free agents looking at this team and saying, okay, like we get it. You were the one seed last year, but like who's going to be the point guard in October? Like, do we know who we're going to actually be playing with? And would you rather just have the stability of going to join? LeBron James and Anthony Davis or Kevin Durant and Kyrie and James Harden. So I I'm pretty, I'm pretty bullish overall on what the Sixers have done this off season between the draft, getting Jaden Springer down at 28, no trading for an extra pick um, like paying to actually acquire a pick instead of selling them, which has been a nice change from past years. Um, And then as Daniel was saying, like the options with Danny Green, because they had his early bird rights, like you could re-sign him and then have the taxpayer mid-level or not re-sign him and have the non-taxpayer mid-level. It's only like a three or $4 million difference. So the clear option was just re-sign Danny Green. Like there is no reason not to do it unless you're trying to deduct the tax. So, I'm, I mean, that was the biggest domino that was gonna fall this offseason, other than the Ben Simmons stuff. And it's good that they could you know, reach common ground here. I think it's a reasonable value for his deal. So. I understand the frustration among Sixers folks who never want to see Ben Simmons play in a Sixers uniform again. I've been saying all off season, like, of course they're shopping him, but I I thought it was more likely than a lot of Sixers folks that he at least starts next season with the Sixers still. And then if things fall apart in Portland or, you no, know, it doesn't seem like it will in Chicago, but if things fall apart in Washington, then you reevaluate as you get closer to the trade deadline
1: uh olympics update vlatko can just try to dunk on rudy gobert near the end of the third quarter uh slovenia is down by about six to france entering the third but it seems like it's a pretty close game uh winner there plays the U.S. So uh, you guys had to know i have that on the background i just wanted to <laughs> be checking it out but um but yeah i i mean i agree just like once you get to like i think so if you think about the eight teams who were in the second round this last year like none of them made that major move. And that's because, yeah, most of these teams have gone through these steps already as like building into contender where you start to lose financial flexibility as you progress. So just doing what you can to maintain t- good players is usually a good thing. Like it helped the Warriors for years that they kept, re- kept being able to sign Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston back that, and even as they did eventually probably by their last season where they lost to the Raptors, like, by that point, like, Sean Livingston probably had lost a little too much or it's costing him. But, like, still, just it's important to hang on to those guys who you know can contribute to your team. And that is Danny Green. So, I think we're all in pretty much agreement there that that was just, like, good news for the Sixers when it seemed like it had been trending towards maybe being bad news where he's going to sign somewhere else. Um Should I – Sean, should I talk about Andre Drummond now? Just, like – <laughs> I, I just want to know. So, like, I – because I also agree with Brian that, like – um just a very good signing in the sense of, like, value. I was a little surprised it was a minimum as well. Um, maybe Sean – okay, maybe Sean, give me your, fir- your first impressions of Andre Drummond as the Sixers backup and, like, what you think it will be like on the court, and then I will play off of that.
0: <laughs> well, I just think if you are keeping Simmons around, it's a really curious move because we, we all saw how – disastrous the Simmons Howard lineups were together there's just negative offensive spacing and everyone obviously made the comparisons the same comparisons when Drummond first signed I think uh, you know Wobe tweeted out that there's going to be like ne- like a black hole of negative gravity in the paint whenever Simmons and Drummond share the court together so if you are looking to like accentuate Simmons and showcase him a little bit more before a potential February trade deadline move, like bringing in Andre Drummond is not the way to do it. And it was funny that Daryl days before the signing said in the modern NBA, any, any big man has to either be able to shoot the ball or he has to be able to switch on the perimeter defensively. Ideally he does both, but he needs to be at least able to do one of those things. And then his move for the backup big man is Andre Drummond who. Doesn't neither of those things
1: yeah yeah very <laughs> drum, Drummond. like after watching him some like uh, once the science announced i looked over some games and some of his shots from this past year like, like yeah he is playing deep drop coverage uh it was actually when he's starting with the Cavs, especially in the season he would just basically spend all 24 seconds in the paint which honestly is not always a terrible idea because refs will basically only call one defensive three seconds a game max so you're it's, like, not a terrible idea if you're a big guy who's a little on the slower side to just stay in there and keep your hands up, try and protect the rim as much as you can. And then, like you said, uh, he did not hit a jump shot outside of 15 feet all of last year. So not much of a shooting threat either. I would say that what he does do is, like, he does offer the chance to make some decisions with the ball in his hands because he's not a bad passer, really, for a big man. So that does help in terms of just – It opens up some spacing that teams can't just see. There was something that Dwight Howard caught the ball from like 15 feet. They just weren't concerned because they knew Dwight's really only options here are, you know, either he'd occasionally hit the jump shot and it'd be fun. But it was more like if Dwight is not catching a lob for a dunk or getting offensive rebound or setting the screen, like there's not a ton of reason to like pay attention to what he's doing. Andre Drummond has at least enough ability as as a ball handler and as a passer that they have to try and keep looking at, it. uh, his passes can get a little, um, wild at times he gets a little too excited throwing one-handed whips that can go a little too fast. Uh, just th- that, I mean, just honestly the main concern about Drummond is that sometimes it feels like he is a little too, he's over for what his abilities are with like, in terms of finesse skills with a basketball, he's overconfident in them. The main culprit being his at rim finishing is just very bad. He shot 53% at the rim last year, uh, Stuff like forty nine of one hundred and fifteen on hook shots. He was forty six percent on layups. Just not, <laughs> not great numbers all around. And
0: I mean, I can For go in tr- so- the man's I- seven feet. How how can he not make half of his I layups? Think, <laughs> I think
1: he's six. I think he's six ten technically. But still, I, under- I understand. Like, yeah, it's just he. Um. So, like, some notes I took on the way he like struggles finishing. Uh, he tries to go to a lot of like extension finishes, like from a little too far, or he likes to do this, like, hezy dribble into, like, the fake Euro to stay on the same side. And then he'll go off, like, he'll go off his right foot on the right-hand side. So, like, one of those, like, very, like, finesse, like, like, it's the kind of moves you'd see Kyrie make a lot, or someone like Tyrese Max we saw is very good at wrong foot finishing. But then he just doesn't have a – doesn't seem to have a great sense of touch off the backboard. There were so many of his shots that just barely rolled off the front of the rim. Cause he just does not have good touch with hand or understanding of how to like correctly angle those kinds of shots. It's, he just feels like he he can get them. And for a guy who is as like, I mean, the biggest asset of Andre Drummond on court is that he is a very strong dude who just moves people. And unlike Dwight Howard is a little better at moving them without getting called for fouls. You know, you could say, Oh, he is found. And the thing is that his strength is more based in like his, his just upper body and his like core that, He will move people with his back and just with his shoulders without needing to extend, whereas we all know Dwight Howard Dwight would often extend his arms whenever he makes a move like that, so it becomes very obvious what's happening.
0: Dwight Dwight will use his boulders of shoulders and club people across the (laughs) chest.
1: Drummond will, for a guy that big, Drummond is not, he kind of avoids getting fouled whenever he does drive, just kind of like trying to extend around them, and it does not work out really as much, just... The, the finishing is going to be rough is what I would say for the most part. All
0: right. So, so Brian, you mentioned that you obviously thought this was a good deal to bring him in on the men and you said Ken Birch. I don't know if that was just like your generic other Batman big up, big option was like that was the last guy on the
2: market that I could because th- like the the market had already been picked over by that point. A lot of the guys who I would have like it was Hassan Whiteside was still there, and who was now going to Boston was still there, and it sounds like he might not even be on a min deal. Sounds like they might use part of their MLE on him, according to Jared yeah. Weiss of the Athletic. So
0: Brad Brad Stevens not having a banner offseason as no. the GM no. for Boston. <laughs> um but yeah, it was so I mean you can just if if you think Drummond was the best option, you can talk a little bit about that. And but was was there like a stretch big that the Sixers could have really pursued or had a realistic chance of going after? Because as I said earlier, everyone is mentioned how Simmons if he's going to stay on the roster that's got to be something the Sixers add to the tables he can't be with this groundbound paint restricted uh five in lineups mm-hmm. together but what was there a better option or if not like just why was Drummond you know why, why will this work out, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I share a lot of the same concerns that you guys do.
2: Like, I'm not saying this is a flawless fit by any means. And, you know, I, I uh, wrote about this for Forbes um, and I, I forget the exact stat, but I know the Simmons-Dwight lineups last year, I know they were in the 11th percentile league-wide in terms of overall net rating. I think it was like they were minus 10.4 or something like that. And then they averaged like 105 points I think it was like 105.4 points per 100 possessions, which was also in the 11th percentile league-wide. So yes, I expect any time the two share the court together, which will hopefully be minimal. Um, I hope. I don't think the offense is going to be very fluid unless Simmons, you know, develops a jump shot over the off season, which I'm not holding my breath on. You know, I think a lot of the guys that got mentioned, um, like Kelly Olynyk, was being mentioned before the free agency started. He had, winds up signing a $12 million a year deal with Detroit. Daniel Tice is ending up, I think he's going to get like 9 million a year from the Rockets. Gorgie Jang would have been great that he got 4 million from the Hawks. Dwayne Dedman is going back to the heat on a one-year men deal. Bielitza would have been nice, but he's going to the Warriors on a one-year men deal. So I think Again, and, and
0: Bielitsa is uh, he's on the, the enemy list here in Florida. Right, yeah, he's banned, so, he's banned yeah. from building.
2: Yeah, <laughs> um, Jamichael Green, too, would have been a nice one. Like, Paul Millsap is still out there, and I'm curious like, if he gets him in, maybe he would have been a better option just in terms of a backup. But again, I think if you're penciling this in for Embiid, is probably going to miss time during the regular season, or maybe we just want to limit. Embiid's wear and tear during the regular season. We don't want to have to play him 35 minutes a game. We want to play him closer to 30. Uh, You can rely on Drummond more just like as a regular season innings eater. I think the concern, of course, is what happens in the playoffs. Like, does Doc continue to go to Simmons-Drummond lineups after seeing them fall on their face all season? Because he did that with Simmons and Dwight in Game 7 inexplicably, even though we knew by that point. These are terrible lineups. So like maybe the solution is Daryl just waves Drummond right before the playoffs start just to like prevent Doc from shooting himself in the foot.
0: Um, Or potentially Ben is not around for next postseason and they have they've traded him for a guard where a guard Drummond pick and roll would suddenly be a very viable offensive threat.
1: You yes. guys are you guys are also, also aren't considering the possibility that Paul Reed becomes a full-time backup. <laughs> that's or Charles, Charles Bassey? or maybe they bring over Petrashev halfway through the year. Oh, I mean, I am expecting Paul Reed to get some playing time and that's actually like some of Drummond's better looks came when obviously he looked a little better and probably a little more efficient when he's playing for the Lakers and not requ- not shooting as much, not doing as much, but I thought it was interesting sometimes when they would have when him and AD out there. Obviously, Anthony Davis gravity as a roller is bigger than Paul Reed's, but <laughs> just when he could kind of like cut off of stuff like that, because I think he's not a bad off-ball mover inside the paint. Like has some decent understanding of cuts. Like you can kind of work some stuff there, where if you run a pick and roll, I mean that that's what I said long about Paul Reed. One of my favorite things is that some sixer centers have not had great sense of how to roll to the basket after screens. And Paul Reed rolls very hard after every single screen he sets. So I think you could even see some like like I would not be upset to see like Paul Reed and Andre Drummond lineups together experimented with. I think those could in theory work. Um that's so a tagline
0: probably... for the episode by the way. Dan <laughs> Olinger compares Paul Reed to Anthony Davis. <laughs> go for it. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
2: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
1: You mentioned, <laughs> one of, you mentioned like the possibility of being waived there. I think we should mention the guy who was waived, uh, George Hill. Um, and what do we think of that? Because I was probably the most surprised Out of all the moves that the Sixers made, would you say that was more surprising than the Andre Drummond one? Because, I mean, I guess... I wasn't 100% sure that George Hill was coming back, but people thought at least – I don't know if it is a sunk cost fallacy thing to think, like, because they traded for George Hill, you have to sign him. I honestly don't know if, like, it's going to be – I could hear the argument both ways. But it was certainly – certainly definitely deserves being talked about after the Sixers traded for George Hill that they do wave him up. And just what do you guys think about that and how that move will affect the team going forward?
0: Yeah, well, you know, as as Brian talked about earlier, I I think Daryl just had it in mind that he didn't know what was going to happen with Danny, and he had to keep his flexibility open going forward to, you know, stay under that hard cap and you know, keep his options open. Um, and given George's August third deadline for guaranteeing that deal, he, he just probably kind of felt his hands were tied with that. Um, I I think ideally he would have liked to because of you know, all the reasons we, we we mentioned earlier where he can help be helpful in matching contracts for trades. And, he, you know, he's going back to Milwaukee, a team that just won the title. So obviously contending teams still see him as a useful piece. Um, it's not like he's he looked washed in his two months here, but I, I think George Hill still has helpful days ahead of him as a basketball player on the court. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you can look at it as we need to keep him around because we sent out some second round picks. You're, you're right with some call cost fallacy in that person in that perspective, like you, you have to only evaluate the move moving forward um, as far as like how it will affect the team. I mean, he was there playing with them for six to eight weeks or whatever it was. I don't think there was some great on court chemistry with Hill and, his Sixers teammates. So I I, I don't really feel like that's going to play much of a role, but yeah, I I do feel that it would have been a, a useful both player and contract to, to have around. And I feel like that was the most surprising in that things I had evaluated going into the Sixers off season and, and kind of predicting what they would do. That was definitely the most surprising Drummond was just like a, a random WTF, like, And Joel Embiid has tweeted that he owns real estate in his head, and now you're you're signing him to uh, practice against him every day. That that was weird, but a
1: tweet tweet that is can still be found with a quick Google search. Like it is not hard. That tweet is not taken down.
0: Well, oh no, you you can still,
1: yeah, you can still.
2: They said you know like sharing real estate (laughs) in the the picture with those two guys, so they are leaning directly into this.
0: Yep, which I guess is the right, that's the right PR spin to put on things. You, you got to embrace it. Otherwise, well,
1: I, I feel, <laughs> I feel bad for Andre Drummond in that if he has like a poor stretch of play, of right? Like say his first month is not good. Where and in play, like, I don't know if, I don't know how fans will feel about that. With, with Andre Drummond, the guy who they had sworn off as like a mortal enemy, like <laughs> just does comes out, and has a rough first month of play. I mean, that can get bad. Uh,
0: well, the bad, good news is he doesn't have to play Joel Embiid. In, exactly. in in real games, so that can only help him. Yeah, uh-huh. and
1: like
2: drumming Whiteside minutes or Drummond canter minutes in these Boston <laughs> games are just going to end worlds. Just, <laughs> but uh, on, the, uh, on the George Hill thing, I agree with you guys. Like I was, I was surprised, like I was mentally going in the offseason assuming they were going to pick him up, mostly for the salary matching. But now looking back on Daryl's draft night press conference, he specifically mentioned Maxi and how you know, seeing what he did last year makes them say, okay, this guy's in line for more minutes and we can spend our free agent dollars elsewhere. And I was thinking more in terms of like, Oh, okay. They're not going to prioritize a like Patty Mills is probably not going to be a target with their taxpayer mid-level, but in retrospect, he was probably telling us in in a coded way, like, I'm not going to pick up George Hill. We're going to rely on Maxie and shake as our
1: primary guards off the bench. And I mean, Jaden Springer as well, because i think that it just shows, like, yeah, the Sixers did spend another first-round pick on a guard. And I think the more I think about, it, like, yeah, your, your initial reaction is that's not good for the Sixers. George Hill still probably is a net positive as a rotation player. But there is something to their, them having so many guards currently coming off their bench, like, and they can only play so many of them. We've talked a million times about how the Sixers needed – more more positional size coming off their bench. Like we said, someone to fill that Mike Scott role might be George Niang. I uh, I would say George Niang is definitely, George Niang as he is right now is probably not the same player that Mike Scott was in 2019. I would say Mike Scott's a little better than that. Uh, Niang's a little more limited in his shot versatility. He has a slow, kind of a slower windup. Uh, he'll hit it in the occasional like shot fake and side dribble three. But besides that, not much. And then, Defensively is probably where more of the limitations come in, where he is he is very strong, just has like a and just strength gives you something, but does not move the same ladder. Like even Mike Scott in his this last season where he was struggling, like the, if you want to know why he played, it's because Mike Scott, like at least for a guy at six nine, six eight, can still move decently well, like when asked to. So that could be a problem for them. So I still I, I'm i still a little concerned about some of the size they of bring off the bench from those four positions. Um but, yeah, so I think it does make sense when after you draft Springer and a guy who probably can play for you next year, and you, of course, already bring back Maxi, Shake, Shake Milton, and uh, Matisse Thibel, who d- obviously doesn't handle ball handling reps as a guard, but still is around that similar size. There is something to you can only have so many of those like size players coming off your bench. Um, what do you – what do we think this, I guess, Sean, what do you think this does mean for then? we'll say shake Milton and Tyrese Maxey, probably the two guys who would be most affected by are most affected by George Hill, not, not coming back to the Sixers, where he was obviously playing, like Brian said, kind of similar ish roles to them.
0: Yeah. I, th- I th- think as you both touched on, it's clearing the runway for Maxey just while, while Simmons is still around. It's he's the clear cut backup point guard. Um, so he's, I know we we all have visions of him scoring 16 points and winning a playoff game for them, but the, the fact remains that he was mostly out of the rotation towards by the end of the season. Um, but I, that's clearly a thing of the past. Now he's going to be the, the backup point and probably play some alongside Simmons as well, and probably see 20 minutes a game. Um, so I, I would be encouraged by what we saw last year and everyone felt that there was no reason max should have slid to 21 and uh I, I think we can all be optimistic about his continued growth and development so i think yeah it makes perfect sense to to give him a bigger role and we'll, we'll see what he can do with it um i there's no reason not to be optimistic about it uh as far as shake he'll still be the like combo guard if you need creation off the bench or you need somebody that has the potential to get to get hot he he's still around um obviously not the best season for shake uh it was very up and down and then he he himself fell out of the rotation in the playoffs only to rise like the the, the proverbial <laughs> phoenix and catch catch fire like no other to uh once again uh ha- show us a a bench player coming out of nowhere to win a playoff game for the Sixers. Um, would have been nice if more of their guys making 30 plus million were winning playoff games for the Sixers, but that, that wasn't the case. Uh, so yeah, they're they're still going to have big roles. Um, I'm, I don't, I, I mean, I I like Springer as a prospect. I don't think he's going to be a regular part of the rotation next season. I think it'll be even, even more than what Maxie saw last year. I think Springer is going to be, kind of glued to the bench and they might even have him do extended G league stints just to give him the, the on-court time he needs because looking at the rotation with everyone healthy and, and Simmons still around there, there's no way Springer's playing more than a handful of minutes. So I don't think that's the best path for him developmentally. So I, I probably expect to see him and making trips to Delaware next year. Um, But yeah, it's, you're, you're right that we should factor those kind of things in that they want minutes for for their younger guys when when we consider what they were doing with Hill, um, but yeah, it, it was just surprising because I, I felt like that contract was really helpful. Um, so, but yeah, if 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 that helps Maxi get 25 minutes or a game and he's st- starting to flourish with it, uh, it could all be a moot point, I guess. But.
1: We should probably talk about the other guy I actually forgot to mention when listing off the bench, which is Furkan (laughs) Korkmaz. Similar to Danny Green. I mean, Danny Green's kind of like Danny might leave kind of like news just started up during the past week. We had kind of assumed for a month or two that we thought Furkan was probably going to go somewhere else, but then it was announced pretty early on free agency, that three-year, $15 million deal. Um, I mean, first of all, it's really amazing after – probably now two years ago, everyone thought Furkan was gone after the Sixers didn't extend that offer, and now he's coming back. And this is – again, as I I tweeted out once before, Furkan Korkmaz is the third longest tenured Philadelphia 76er behind Joel Embiid oh, wow. and Ben Simmons. It is – those three have been around the longest. Yeah. So.
0: It's those three in Franklin. They're the core. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, it's just like – I mean, that's, it's pretty fascinating that he's still on the team after all this. And I, I do think when we talk again about the guys who, this fact, I think that this, like we said, just to end off on that George Hill, like cl- George Hill's absence, like clear at minutes, I think it does especially open up stuff for Tyrese Maxey because he's offering something that the others don't. Whereas I think bringing in Niang and keep retaining Furkan, like they do offer the spacing that in theory is like one of Shake Dalton's like main selling points as being a rotation player is hey, Shake can space to the corner, teams will respect him. He can hit some shots for you. Where Furcon and Niang will probably be doing that in line-up together as two of the taller shooters on the team. So I definitely think, and of course, I, as you know, I like, I think Springer is pretty good, and I think he definitely slot into that. But, um, so let's talk about Furcon, I guess. Uh, Brian, uh, <laughs> what do you think of the the move? In ter- like, just over, I guess you can talk about if how surprised you were to see them retain him and then. How you think it like pertains to the team going forward? As even though it is pretty much again just like we said, running it back with the same types of players they had, the same players they had last year.
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought again, great value in terms of like we see what shooters get on the open market, right? Like Duncan Robinson just got eighteen million dollars a year. Davis Bertans got sixteen last year. Joe Harris got almost twenty the year before. So having Furkan at 5 million a year for the next three years from what I've seen, it's fully guaranteed. It's like, you know, no player option or anything like that. Not saying Furkan is a shooter on the level of those guys. All of them are elite, but even like Doug McDermott got 14 million a year. So, you know, Furkan for all of his faults, he at least is like the one guy on the team that just does not have a conscience when he's shooting. And the Sixers need that because you have a Seth Curry, who's one of the most accurate three-point shooters in NBA history, who does have a conscience. He like should be taking twice as many threes as he does, but he's not doing that. Tobias Harris isn't taking as many threes. So having Furr cut off the bench, just being willing to like every time he catches when he's open, he's going to shoot the ball is valuable, especially for as long as Ben Simmons is on the team. And getting him back at, a year. Again, another guy where it's like they had his... I think they had full bird rights on him, so it didn't affect them at all in terms of any of their exceptions that they could use. If he walks, you can't replace him because you're not going to have cap space, so it made sense to retain him from that perspective alone. And now, I mean, Danny and Furkan are the two... and Seth, I guess, are like the the now, quote-unquote, big contracts that they have to offer if they are trying to get a trade, but... I. In terms of trades now, they are pretty limited. Like the the Malcolm Brogdon dream is dead unless Ben Simmons is going out. Like they they are, you know, they can't get someone that like eighteen million dollar range without consolidating a couple guys together. So, you know, I think if we're starting to think about potential trades during the season for any possible upgrades, it's it's been or bust basically. But I I I like. I like the furcon on signing. We'll see how they structure the contract again. I'm assuming it's just going to ascend every year, but like ideally, I mean, you know, for tax reasons, they might not want to do this, but I would even structure it. So it descends in value uh, to make him even more valuable down the line.
0: Yeah. No, that's a good point regarding that's another 5 million. You could aggregate in trades. If, if Washington is ready to deal bill, if, if he asks out and, you need to tack on another 5 million Moss is a guy that people would view as a, as a net positive to a transaction. I would think he's, he's still, I think 24, like a young player that has shown growth. He, I think he, he made strides defensively, whereas in the past he was this, you know, turnstile. I think he, he, he's not a shutdown defender by any means, but I think he's a guy you can, we saw in the playoff series, teams weren't, like actively hunting him down and exploiting him, which was, I think, a step forward. And yeah, as you said, he's you you need those rainmakers, those guys Mm -hmm. that just aren't afraid to let it fly, especially the Sixers, as you said, certainly do, because their two best players are 6'10 plus players who, you know, Embiid has done a tremendous job improving his three-point shot, but he's not a a volume three-point shooter. And then we don't need to talk about Simmons and his... (laughs) shooting or lack thereof but yeah so you need those guys that are they're going to go to let it fly um yeah so i think Moss is as you said him and green if if they left you weren't there was no path to replacing them because they had bird rights on them and it was you keep them or you have nothing so Mm -hmm. you keep them because having nothing doesn't help your team and they did so on a very value like on a value basis the contract's terrific um, anyone in the league, I think would like to have, uh, like a, a ninth man who can shoot like Quirkmos on a $5 million deal who is still very young and could improve moving forward. So yeah, that was, there's nothing negative about, about that re-signing at all. And, uh, yeah, I haven't even considered like Quirkmos being aggregated into a deal down the road that, that could also be helpful. So, um, yeah, all, all good things in that area. Um, and and Daniel, I know you're you're going to be happy that we can talk about Furkan's quirks moving forward. I know that's that's one of your favorite aspects of, of the team.
1: I mean he, I mean he does offer something like as a secondary ball handler, and that he'll he'll still try to do it for now. And I do again like trying to think about lineups they can play if they go to more all bench lineups again. So you're looking at I definitely could think we could see like Maxi, Matisse, Furkan, Niang, and Drummond at some point, which. I mean, that requires Furkan, a lot of Furcon like, as a secondary ball handler because I have kneeing and Matisse wouldn't be handling pretty much any of those kind of roles, so it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see how those teams adjust to, to, to like, those bench lamps adjust to moving on from Dwight to Drummond because whereas people probably think of them similarly, they are not. Uh Dwight is much more of a bouncy lob finisher, whereas, again, like we said, Drummond, like, even though you can trust Drummond with more decisions, the ball in his hands, Drummond also just he he's very very slow decision maker. He like likes to process things when he gets the ball, and that can really stagnate the offense at times. Um, I said like he he makes his decisions slowly, but then when he does make them, his moves that he tries to make off those slow decisions can get a little too fast. He gets a little ahead of himself. Like I said, with the the kind of like in and out dribbles that really don't get him much anywhere, and kind of throws up the ball up at the rim too quickly. Just it it is like a little bit like you wanted to tell Drummond Slain, like his best finishes are when he goes up with two hands underneath the rim after he like body blows into someone. And almost was like some of the stronger players he played against, he kind of felt more comfortable doing it. I know he had some success against Jonas Valanciunas and Nick Vukovic, just feeling comfortable with bigger guys like that, banging into them. And again, like I said, going up two hands strong, slapping it off the backboard for a finish. Like he because he is just again very, very powerful. And that will help a lot. So, But I am just overall I, – I, I don't know how those lines are going to look because they will – just the necessity of the difference between a guy like Drummond and Dwight who are – I mean, that is what makes centers so important still. It's like – and why some of them don't play as much in the playoffs and some of them need to be on the court is that a lot of what they can do dictates of how that lineup looks like. So I'll be very interested to see that. Um, Sean, if Furcon – so how much longer does Furk have to be a Philadelphia 76er before like we buy jerseys for him because again like he, <laughs> it's going to be is now I think like uh it's going to be the fifth season of Furk on on the Sixers roster I think and like I said this the third longest tenured Sixer
0: Well as we've discussed before I'm too old to buy a jersey um and 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 oh, yeah, too young I'm simultaneously too old and too young to buy a jersey. We didn't
1: talk about that
0: <laughs> Um I, I would buy a a, a Kirkmas uh Turkish national team jersey i think if uh, if i was still of the age to buy to buy a jersey i think that would be a good move um because if you you were to a Sixers game currently then that would still be like oh win really cool like random jersey to wear but also if if he got moved in a trade then you still have a quirkmost Turkish national team jersey so there you go that that would be the move i would make honestly so for for all those international ebay jersey scouts out there that that'd be my advice
2: you could show up at Lollapalooza and you'd be the hit of the crowd
0: exactly for for the the four people there who knew who to <laughs> <laughs> but they would really love it that that that's the, that those are my people oh yeah, well, yeah
1: that's that's the best thing where someone like you someone understands that like i so after um i went into like a sheets a week ago after uh i went for I, was, I ran a half marathon a few weeks ago and we were on the way back. We stopped for food and I just slipped on like my, uh, my Liberty Ballers shirt and the guy who handed me my food pointed out, I said, oh, I love SB Nation sites. And I was like, oh yeah, oh, oh, you might've seen my name on there sometimes. So, you know, just <laughs> like, you know, it is those nice moments. Like uh, I'm trying to think of a good comparison but I can't at the moment, but it was just like, um, it's
0: like a secret cat.
1: handshake yeah yeah exactly so yes i was tra- trying to think of it like a specific moment to reference but um now i'm blaming myself for not thinking of a specific moment to reference.
0: <laughs> well my my friend is planning to wear a paul reed jersey when we go down to ocean city maryland later this month so nice. that if, if, if you know if people know who paul reed is when when, you, when you're out of state then those are the true fans, and those are your people, and that's 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 what fandom's all about. It's about connecting with people, and uh, those those are always fun moments.
2: I will say, I moved to Baltimore last year, and there are a surprising number of Philly people here. here. is warm my heart to see. Like I was just driving around and seeing like Eagles jerseys in the fall, and coming from I was in Nashville before that, and not not nearly as many <laughs> Eagles fans down there. So it's it's good yeah. to be back.
0: Uh, yep, yeah, on you're posts. on you're on the 95 corridor, and yeah. you know. Those, those national games, if you go a little, little farther south than Baltimore, those are just Philly's Citizens Bank Park South. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, there's definitely a good uh, contingent of Philly Philly sports followings in the area. So I'm glad, yeah. glad you're able to benefit from that now.
2: Yeah, it's been nice. And, 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 uh, going back to the quirkwise thing for one minute, I mean, like I'm thinking now, it, you know, I don't even know how they – structure their rotation because like in theory there are now 11 guys including the
1: yang who you could well, that, i mean that's, deserve that's, that's what the, that's what it was like last year too
0: yeah, yeah don't worry like, doc rivers will play all 11 in <laughs> I,
1: well,
2: I have faith it's like I, I guess it protects against injuries but yeah you can have some like even if you do stick with the hockey style lineups you keep the starters together you have some flexibility with the bench where you could do these like four guard lineups where Matisse is the four again and you do Shake, Maxi, Furcon, Matisse, Drummond. Or as you guys said, you know, you could do Maxi or Shake, put Niang in there as well. So I think a lot of this comes down to, especially with Niang and Drummond defensively. We've seen improvements from guys like Tobias Harris and as you guys mentioned, Furcon Corkmans over time. Like Dan Burke is a really good defensive coach. So I'm curious to see once he sinks his teeth into these new guys, like can, I don't want to see Drummond, I, like he's not the type of player who's going to be switching all the time, but can he make Drummond improve defensively to some extent? Can he get Niang to improve defensively to some extent? Can they come up with some sort of scheme that hides their weaknesses as best as possible? You know, given that what we saw last year, I'm, I'm like cautiously optimistic about it, but it was, a lot of this comes down to Doc, too, and how he structures his rotations, especially in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, and uh, another guy I would throw in there was Tyrese Maxey, who obviously he's a rookie, so yeah. you would expect normal development, but he was not playing in large part because Doc said he couldn't hack it defensively, um, and then by the end, he was... I thought playing really, really well in the defensive end and in the playoffs and everything. So, um, that, that was another guy that, you know, Burke had, a, had a hand in, in molding, obviously as a 20 year old rookie or 19 or 20 year old rookie, you're expecting bigger leaps and bounds in your development than a, a Tobias Harris. But yeah, it's, it's still another feather in Dan Burke's cap last season about defensive improvements that were made. Um, Daniel, anybody that we, we, we've missed or that you watched two hours of film on and, and I want to talk about a little bit more.
1: (laughs) I mean, no, I think we covered it all, I mean, just in terms of free agent signings and players lost from last year's team, there wasn't going to be a ton that the Sixers did because again, of the nature of being a team who has gone through this process of kind of like building themselves into a contender over the last four years, you kind of just, unless you're making a wholesale change or have like a max player coming off your books or, but you're just not going to be doing a ton in like relative to the rest of the NBA. So I, I mean, it was all pretty good. Like we said, I think it makes sense to retain Danny green for a concord mods with their shooting and size and how you can play them there. I mean, they both classify as wing. I think they both classify as wings who are plus shooters, which is just always good things to have on your team. And then like we said that the, the drum and signing made a lot of sense from value play. So good stuff all there. Uh, Brian, um, anything you want to plug before we, well yeah, get leave you alone here. I, I've been stuttering my words today.
2: All good. Uh no, I've I've been writing about stuff for Forbes uh for the Sixers in particular, so I guess we'll see what happens on the Ben Simmons front. I'm not expecting anything before the start of the regular season, but I will be covering you know, Sixers and just uh overall free agency there and then check out the NBA pod. You can find it anywhere uh Apple all the you know, all the usual suspects there. So, thank yeah. you guys for having me on. This was great. Um, you know, I, I feel like Sixers Twitter is mostly a cesspool of negativity since Ben Simmons is still on the team. So, it's like good to just have objective conversations about this team that isn't just
0: thirty minutes of
2: why is not Ben Simmons traded for a sack of potatoes?
0: Yeah, <laughs> he's a bum. Trade trade him for uh, what was some of the some of the ones that were thrown out there? Like people just wanted like straight up DeAngelo Russell. And like yeah. a second round pick yeah like just crazy stuff <laughs> <laughs>
2: like Marvin bagley is going to be great on this team
0: yeah um, but yeah if you uh you're uh B to on twitter um yes. and everyone should definitely give you a follow you obviously do your work for forbes and in the, the pod but uh also you just i think do a better job than most of breaking down cap implications and and kind of Laying those out for people in in handy charts. Um, so while you're you're scrolling through Twitter, I come across those and I'm like, oh, that's really really helpful to see, because uh, <laughs> a lot of times those kind of things are very confusing. So yeah, thanks for coming on, Brian.
1: For sure. Thanks for having me. Guys, happy to come on anytime. Yeah, right. And thank you all for listening. And we will all talk to you next time.
0: Well, Daniel, you are in. You're going to be in Vegas. Yeah, my- we'll, we'll still do a pod okay so you're i i just wanted to make sure i i don't know what I, what happens in vegas it, it isn't always podcasting i know that so <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh we'll, we'll talk to you live from vegas next week huh uh, in theory yes <laughs> <laughs> all right take care everybody. <laughs>